You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I'm going to share from Psalm 16, so grab your Bibles and make sure you're handy there. But I want to start out by just kind of telling you a little story. Uh, first of all, I am a church planning catalyst with the North American Mission Board, and so I help your church plant more churches. We've got, and I wanted to give a quick report, we've got two new churches just in this area that are starting, um, but I'll tell you about three that are really exciting to me. One is Anthony Gettle. It's spelled like God Tell, and what a great name for a church planter preacher, isn't it? God Tell. And, and he's starting a church over in Hickman, which is just south of Lincoln. Then another guy just moved from Arkansas all the way over to Scotts Bluff area. He wants to reach people in Terrytown. And so he's moved all the way from Arkansas to there. His name is Logan McCourtney. Just keep praying for them as they move and try to transition to that. There's a third guy. And all of this is happening right in the middle of COVID. You would think everything would stop, right? God is still at work. And we got another guy. Do you know where Colby, Kansas is? I have another young man. His name is Timothy Watts. And Timothy and his family have just moved uh, to Colby, Kansas. And they're, they've already got a core group of like 16 people that are, he's only been there like three weeks. Isn't that amazing how God is? And so there's good things happening right in the midst of all the weirdness. Right? So don't. Don't lose heart. Get excited. Now, I've already been picked on today about my motorcycle and my COVID beard. And, and, and so I wanted to tell them about a, my recent trip, my first and ever trip to Sturgis. And I, I decided to go right now, you know. Part of the reason I'm wearing my mask is I just came back from Sturgis, which is like Sodom and Gomorrah. We went, we went to do ministry there, and, and I was a little excited because I've heard all the stories, and a little nervous at the same time. And I have to confess to you that I have some insecurities about being a motorcycle guy. I have, I've never been very tough, and I've never been very scary in the past or in the present. And so, uh, you know, except for this beard that I grew as part of my COVID experience, and the fact that I have a Harley Davidson, I, I, I kind of feel a little nervous, even being around all these motorcycle guys. Now, I, I have found that the beard has helped me a little bit. It opens conversations, and if as long as I put a leather jacket on and a Harley Davidson shirt, people talk to me that never would have talked to me before. <laughs> um, but I worry that as soon as they start talking to me, they're going to figure out. They're going to find out that I've never killed anyone, that I've never broken any major laws. And that I'm just this motorcycle enthusiast. I like to ride motorcycles, right? 
I guess I'm, how many of you, my, my wife said I should make sure you guys even know what I'm talking about. She said, I have no idea what you're talking about when I told her this story that I'm telling you. How many of you have heard of the movie Wild Hogs? Oh, hallelujah. So I don't have to go into all the details of those four guys. You know, John Travolta's in that. William Macy, Tim Allen, and Martin Lawrence. They're all these, these make-believe gang, motorcycle gang guys who decide to go on this trip, right? And, and to be honest, I'm more like the William Macy character, the, the Dudley Frank. <laughs> I'm the guy, and you'll catch on really quick, so I'm a little nervous about being around all these people in Sturgis. And so here's my, here's my Sturgis exciting story. Here I am riding down. If you know where Sturgis is, you know there's like two big roads that kind of, there's the road where they park all the motorcycles and then the road just adjacent to it that runs parallel that comes off the interstate. And I'm riding down that interstate road and just feeling really cool. I actually rolled my sleeves up. And, and I'm, I'm just, it's barely creeping. You know, the road, it, it, there's so many people. There's like 200,000 motorcycle guys there in the middle of COVID. And I'm riding along just gawking at all the displays and everything. And then all of a sudden I look in front of me and everybody is stopping. And so I, I slam on my brake, but I, I do it in such a way where I turn my steering wheel, my steering wheel, my handlebars a little bit to the, to the left, and immediately I kind of lurch forward. And so I drop my left leg and try to catch my bike, and I realize everybody's watching me. <laughs> And as gently as I can, with an 800-pound motorcycle, I tip it over onto its peg. And all of a sudden, my heart starts to pound. As I realize every tough motorcycle dude in Sturgis is watching me as I just dropped my bike on its peg. <sighs> And, and the damage had already been done. My bike was fine. But you know, my pride, my pride and that insecurity that I already had were talking to me. And they were saying, you are not a motorcycle guy. You are not that cool. You are like one of those wild hogs. And everybody knows you're a poser. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of praying to do right at that moment. And for several hours after that, if, I, if we're really honest, folks, we have insecurities and fears that, that only God can help us to confront and to give us confidence. Insecurities and fear come from deep down inside of us. At that point, at the point of where things really satisfy us. I want you to catch that. 
those insecurities and fear that each and every one of us have, whether it's from coworkers, whether it's from the people that we know close to us, they all come from that place down inside of us that says, are you satisfied in who you are? John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And as I thought about this passage, I really started thinking about how we look at life and, and what really satisfies us. Is this all there is? Sometimes we sit there in bed and we go, is this all there is? And I've lied there in bed before, and you may have too, and you wonder, if this is all there is, is this enough? We can have life filled with fear and insecurity, or we can have something better. We can have something complete. So I want, to, I want you to look at this passage with me, because it's pretty cool. David, remember who wrote this, David. David is king. He kills, he kills bears and lions with his bare hands. Now there's a tough dude. If he had a motorcycle, no, you know, he would do it well, right? But listen to this psalm for a few minutes and listen to his take on things. Because I think you'll learn a few things about even the strongest men in the world. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other and another God shall multiply. They drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord has chosen. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Ooh. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let my, your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As I thought about this passage, you, you know, Joe, Joe gives us assignments whenever anybody preaches here. Have you noticed? Those of you who know him know he tells you what to preach. 
He gives you some freedom in there to figure out what God's saying to you. But he tells, and this was my assignment. And my first thought was, I don't know how to preach this. But you know, it's so amazing. Because as I looked at it, God just really convicted me of my own insecurities. And, and as I looked at this, I thought David starts to pray this prayer out of insecurity. He prays for preservation and protection. I mean, why would David need preservation and protection? Because he was insecure at the moment he was writing this. So it's, it's worth asking the question, what was David so insecure about? What did he need protecting from? What is it that makes David search as he does right here for security? I think there's some lessons here. I want to show you through each section just what he was afraid of. What, what things he was struggling with. And so, just like David, our psalmist, maybe you have fears in these same areas. We might call the first one, at the very beginning, a, a fear of the pressure of peers. Did you catch that? There's two groups in Israel that he lays out for us. In verse 4, or in verse 3, you see the saints in the land, in verse 3. And then there are those who run after another god. Now, if you know anything about the land of Israel, they always struggled with idolatry. Over and over and over again, they struggled with idolatry. And, it, and you didn't have to look very far to find that true to be true. Every king that followed David struggled with idolatry. Almost every single one had a, a battle with either themselves or with the people about idolatry. Israelite society was always divided like that. Even then, in each generation, they battled from King Solomon after David all the way to the end of that kingdom. But he refused to participate with all of that. David says, I, I am not going to chase after pagan gods. Can I tell you, often we are concerned, and I, I think this is true, often we're just as concerned about the, the people that we go to church with and what they think of us as we are anybody else. You ever thought about that? And David, kind of, as I read this, I, I, I think David was kind of looking at him and going, I almost struggle with worship of my, my own people, the people that are the saints. Look at verse 3, the way he says this. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. I'm not worthy of even hanging out with those guys because I've got blood on my hand. I've got sin in my life. They are the excellent ones, and I'm not. But my heart, my heart still delights in them. 
David's insecurity as he thinks about the saints is so obvious to me in this passage, and I never really paid attention to it until I started studying this for this sermon. Our judge ought to be God. Do you know that, guys? Our judge isn't man. It's not the other people that come to church with you, regardless of how you may feel about it this morning. Your judge is God. You answer to him. And so David points out to us that we need to seek God's grace, even as much as we love God's people. Then if you look down at verses 7 and 8, you see another cause of potential insecurity. You see, David seeks to avoid or manage to avoid, by the grace of God, this additional thing. It is the uncertainty of the future. Did you catch that as you read it? You see, David is uncertain, or the world is uncertain. Every day, every day that we wake up, we wonder what will today bring, right? I mean... I never thought about COVID. Never even crossed my mind that we'd be living in the midst. You know, it's even weird to say COVID. COVID. People laugh at me when I say that, even. Because it's so weird to say COVID-19. We never, we never even worried about this kind of stuff until, what was it, February? I don't know if it really hit us until March that this was really going to be a thing that affects my life. It was something way over in China, not something for me to worry about. And yet we, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And if we look at our lives, we, we know that we're concerned about what it's going to be like tomorrow. The future is uncertain. We can't control it. It's utterly unknown to us. We can't predict it. We can't avoid the future. Many of us live in the dread of the unknown tomorrow. But that's not the way David was. He faces tomorrow unafraid. And do you notice what he says? I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. So there was the peer pressure. There's the uncertain future. And then there's this inescapable reality of death. That just kind of clouds all of our realities. I mean, and, and never more than it is today. We are all going to die, one way or the other. And that's the theme that, a, that occupies David's attention in verse 9. To the end of the psalm. He says, my heart is glad my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You know what Sheol is? It's one of those words that they'd never quite translate because they don't know how, really. But it's the place of the dead. Some people just struggle with that. That's why it's Sheol. Sheol. It's still a Hebrew word. We just transliterate it. We just don't. There's one other word in the New Testament that everybody uses, but we don't translate, really. It's baptizo, baptize. One of those weird words. We just take it right out of the Greek and we put it into English 
And right here we have Sheol, which is the place of the dead. And so David's really focused on this fear of death. <laughs> and nothing quite strikes our heart like this idea of dying. There's one word that always makes my heart kind of ache. It's the word cancer. So many people in my life have died of cancer, and their deaths were usually horrible and painful. And nothing strikes fear into us, like those kind of words, like cancer, a motorcycle accident, or, you love this phrase, I've got some good news and some bad news. Death brings all our plans to nothing. It's a no, it has no respect for anybody. And death is moving toward us, every single one of us. It is inevitable. And, and, and this is frankly hard for us to think about. In fact, I know people who never want to talk about their end of life. Now, I those are the things that make us insecure in this passage. This is what David wanted us to address but then he also addresses some false senses of security. You see, in David's day, like many today, they respond to the peer pressures, to the uncertainty of the future, the reality of the certainty of death, and they do it with religion. And I know that sounds like not a bad thing, right? That we, that we respond with a religious attitude. But what are you chasing after, guys? Those people that he talks about here in this passage are running after an idol, idols. Religion can give us a false sense of security. And I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to dwell on this idea for too long, but just because you prayed a prayer somewhere back in your past and said, I love Jesus, I don't want you to have a false sense of security about that one little prayer. You see, Jesus calls us to come follow him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not about a, a, a prayer you prayed in the past, but a walk that changes your life, being born again. You know, Jesus never led anyone in a sinner's prayer. He said, come follow me, and I'll, I'll make you what? Fishers of men. He said, if you love me, you'll obey what? My commands. Jesus called us to get up from where we're at and come follow him, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so you and I shouldn't fill our lives with religion, just like these people did. Look at verse for a moment. You see, when they're at the end of themselves, they chase after other gods. And those gods multiply their sorrows. Hmm. You see, in those days, here's the way it worked. When you wanted your crops to do good, you went to the fertility god and you bribed him or her. You gave her some crops and hope that she would bless your crop. 
If you wanted power or to win war, you know what you'd do? You'd find the war god and you'd bribe him. You see what I'm saying? You go and pay, pay him off. You bring some bullets and stuff and you lay in front of the war god and you say, God bless me. And that's the way they used to do it. And I know you guys are all too sophisticated for this today, right? In our high-tech world, we know that I can't, we, can't throw a, we can't put a nuclear bomb in front of the war god and have him bless it, right? We know that. We can't, we can't put our, 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 our bullets in front. We know that we can't come put crops in front of a stick and say, bless this. We, we know that. We're too sophisticated for that. We're too high-tech nowadays. And we are just a little judgmental of all those people in the past. We would not do that, would we? But wait a minute. While we do not make idols of wood, metal, and stone today, we'd still kneel to them. What gives you a false sense of security today? What is it? Is it your money? Do, is, it, is it the fact that you live in the wealthiest nation in the world that gives you some security? Is it your government? Do you rely on them to solve all your problems? Is it the technology? Well, you know, if I don't have the answers, I'll Google it. Right? I, I can rely on something else, and something else will take care of me. Do you rely on your stuff? I got a lot of stuff, and I'll just be safe because I have my stuff. I'll be happy because I have my family. I have my grandchildren, my, my kids, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, my wife. And so I can achieve some control over my world by, by trusting in these things. I don't want to be alone. But you know what? Sometimes we trust the fact that we live in these small little towns. And so there's no bad people here, right? There's no germs here. There's no... But COVID's really kind of shown a light to the fact that people everywhere get sick and everywhere die. And so you, you and I, if we have a false sense of security, we need to kind of think about that this morning. And I want you to see what David says is our true, our only true source of security this morning. In verses 1 through 4, he says, God is our protection. The only true, true security is found in him. God protects us from the pressures of insecurities in our lives. We look and we try to justify our existence by what we do. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a preacher, I've got this lovely job, I'm a nurse, I'm whatever you are, I'm a plumber, and I'm successful. Sometimes we look at our kids and we go, look at my kids. Look how nice and well-behaved they are today. <laughs> today. The Lord himself is our security, not merely the giver of security. He is our security. David says, check this out. He says right here in this passage, in verses, uh, this, these verses four, 
I'm sorry, in verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 2. He says, I say to the Lord. Do you notice what he says there? He says, I say to the Lord, and the Lord is all capitalized. Did you see that? That's Yahweh. So he's saying, I say to Yahweh, and then he says, you are my Lord. And now it's the word Adonai, Adonai. And so he says, the God of Abraham, he's, he's invoking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Exodus. You are my Lord. He's giving him sovereign rule over his life. He's acknowledging that sovereign rule. And he says, he is my master. He is my Lord. He rules over everything in my life. Faith declares that I have no good apart from him. God is our protection and our refuge. Look at verses 5 through 8. You see, in, these pa- in this passage, you see a contrast between the people around him and those running after another God and what they get. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. Portion is a reference to wealth and inheritance. A cup is a reference to a pleasure or a satisfaction. Here he puts it in a positive. You see, he says, the Lord is my portion, my cup. In other words, I'm sitting at a buffet. You remember those? We used to have buffets. I'm sitting at the buffet, and it's got everything on it, right? You ever been to one of those Chinese buffets with the lobsters and the crab legs and the shrimp, and they got some steak over it? I mean, this is like the whole thing. And see, this is what David is kind of casting a vision for us of. We're sitting in front of this massive buffet, and you know what we choose instead? Jesus. We take God over all the T-bone. I know that sounds like sacrilege for a Nebraskan. But we choose. He is our treasure. He is our finest sirloin. He is our richest wine. When I think about the cup, I'm, I have, have that kind of memory of, of Psalm 23 where he says, my cup runneth over. All I need, all I need is God. All I need is the Lord. And what David has, has, he has, all that he has, he has from the Lord. It is safe. It is secure. It is his inheritance. And you know who protects his inheritance? God. He doesn't need a big fence. He just needs God. His portion is described as his inheritance. It's secure. You know what kind of inheritance we have? Mm, We'll get to it. We'll get to it. See, God says that he's my counselor. I don't have enough time to go into all the detail. This passage is so rich. This, This psalm is so rich, so we don't have enough time. But just check out. He says, the Lord is my counselor. He's the giver of wisdom. And I want to ask you, do you know how to get wisdom today from the Lord? Pick up your Bible. Pray. 
hang out with the body of Christ right here, like this, and worship the Lord. Because the Lord fills the psalmist's mind, the Lord will instruct his heart, his soul, his inward parts. Because he is his right hand, I shall not be moved. I shall not be shaken. And then thirdly, we see the Lord's presence in verses 9 through 11. David expresses his greatest confidence in verse 11. I just think this is so beautiful. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand there, is, there are pleasures forevermore. Even beyond death, David tells us, he will know the fullness of pleasures and joys forever and ever and ever, forevermore. That's a long time. That's, that's a long, long time. I can't get to the end of the calendar when, when we say forevermore. <laughs> and he, he isn't saying that God is simply a better way. He tells us that God himself is our security, your pleasure, your inheritance, your joy. Get Jesus and you'll have enough. If you really get Jesus, you'll have enough. And I think we still struggle with that idea, don't we? The very first sermon preached, the first Christian sermon ever preached was in Acts chapter 2, verse 25. And Peter stood up on that day and he used this passage. He quotes Psalm 16. And he says that David wasn't what we're talking about here. We're talking about something bigger, something better. You see, something that only David gets a glimpse of. You see, he is God's holy one. Jesus is God's holy one. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He died and he rose from the grave. That's what Psalm 16 reminds us. You see, there's nothing in this world that compares to Jesus. Jesus dwells securely in the presence of our Father. He lives amidst the pleasures that we will have. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, Jesus is already there at the right hand forevermore. As Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above all names so that the, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. And that means that God the Father has appointed him to be the one that we find our rest in, our peace in, our security in. He is our wealth. He's our joy. He's our pleasure. He's our portion, our cup. He's our inheritance. Beyond him, beside him, we have all that is good. 
Now, I'm going to close. I have this, this really cool sermon that I, I recently was reminded about by Jonathan Edwards. I don't know if any of you know Jonathan Edwards, but Jonathan Edwards pre, is, no, is famous, famous for a really fire and brimstone kind of sermon. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. Woo! Man, I get warm just thinking about that, don't you? But his first sermon that's recorded, that we have recorded, is one that's totally different than that. It's titled Christian Happiness. <laughs> and he's, he sets forth in this, his basic theme is this, that the Christian is happy in whatever circumstances he's in. And then he offers three reasons why Christians should be happy. And, and I found this paraphrase of his sermon, so I'm not going to preach two sermons this morning, but you are getting the, the vast majority of two sermons. This is what's really cool about this morning for you guys. And so here's, here's his outline, okay? Reason number one, if you know Jesus Christ, your bad things will work out for your good, Romans 8, 28. Number two, if you have Jesus Christ, good things, your adoption into God's family, your justification in his sight, your union with Jesus Christ, your good things cannot be shaken, Romans 8, 1. And reason number three, I love these. If you have Jesus, your best things in life, the new creation, the new world to come, they are yet to come. We got something to look forward to. Did you hear that? Your bad things work for your good. Your good things cannot be shaken and they cannot be taken away from you. The best things are yet to come. Man, which is simply another way of saying the great causes for my insecurity and yours need no longer shake me up anymore. I don't care how many big, tough, burly motorcycle dudes are standing watching. I'm okay. The best is yet to come. He himself, he himself is my security. I got Jesus on my side. I don't need hell's angels. I got Jesus. We have no good thing but him. Let me ask you, if today you're running after another God, If you were to look at your life right now, at this place, are you running after another God? Have you found that God to be a, a cruel taskmaster? Your pursuit of stuff, money, sex, power, do you find them more exhausting and they're always demanding more of you every single day? The more you pursue them, the more they want you, the more they want to control you. The sufferings of those who run after another God, David says, they shall multiply. And so you, what you need today is Jesus. You need him. Have you found that true sense of security that you can only find in Jesus Christ? You see, 
Jesus Christ has triumphed over all of it. He has won the victory. You get him, and David says, you should run to him, rest in him. And you'll be able to say, just like David, my heart is glad. Woo! My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh, it dwells secure. Let's pray. Oh, dear precious Heavenly Father, I'm so easily insecure. I so quickly pursue other things that are so empty, that, that demand so much more of me than you do. You've promised a light burden easy and yet I keep wanting to throw weights on my shoulder and I even do it at church I want everybody to think I'm okay and I'm not I just need Jesus Lord may each of us come to your buffet this morning and find you enough may we turn from all of the the things that cause us insecurity and all those things that give us a false sense of security. And may we trust in your protection and your provision today. Lord, we ask your blessing upon your church, upon your people. Lord, and honestly, upon ourselves. Lord, we just need you. We need you. We need to be able to say, you are enough, and I will not be shaken. I am satisfied in Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.